the Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Colt. I'm Freddie Wolf. You're already looking at it. You know what you're listening to today. We started the series in a very snarky place. <laughs> well, was it snarky or it was just... Uh, uh, well, you know, you know I, mean, I, I mean, here's hey, the look, thing. look, it's one of those things. Look, we could just be asking the question and maybe the answer to the question isn't what we expected it to be. How about that? That's fair. Uh, I think I think maybe because of the snarkiness, I think just because of... I say snarky because RoboCop of, sucked <laughs> because of a title that we were giving the the theme for the month. But I think what we came up with after the fog was was the one to use, and that's remakes that nobody asked for or people didn't ask for or something along those lines. Total Recall from 2012. This is a remake with Lynn Wiseman at the helm and our man Colin Farrell proving us two years Colin in a row. Two years in a row. This and Fright Night remake that we should have been paying more attention to him. We both talked about this off mic. We we love his work and even in the stuff that's never well received. But again, I th- I feel like just like with Fright Night, the trailer just it was it wasn't the adoration for the original. It was it was just I I couldn't do it. I'm gonna say what it suffers from is it's kind of the same thing what we were talking about. It's like if this movie was called We'll Remember It for You Wholesale or whatever the fucking short story that it's based on was or anything except other than Total Recall. Right. It was just called recall, whatever. I, I just think that, you know, people of a certain age, you know, anybody who's 40 or over who maybe remembers the uh, original Total Recall, you, you can't, you know, it's unfair. You're, you know, if you love the movie from your childhood, you're going to have an unfair sort of bias, right? Like, right. like this movie for me, I, I remember I saw it in a theater and I didn't hate it. I mean, I, I, it was past, it was, it was entertaining. You know, I think I went on one of those 130 degree fucking summer days, right. maybe when I was in, I think I might've been in New Orleans when it was, when the heat index was up around 120 right. uh, or something ridiculous. <laughs> and I, I hey, look, it was escapism. And I, I remember thinking, oh, it wasn't bad, better than I thought it was going to be. But watching it last night, man, it's fucking really good. It is really good. Uh, I mean, they, they put a lot of money in it. The, the production value itself is is really through the roof. Yep, it really is. We talked about movies around that frame, how the CG kind of shows itself. But fortunately, nothing really in this movie, if you see any, it's no bad CG, but there was a one visual effects moment in there that was just a poor, that was just poor. It was just an, somebody, it was an oversight. It wasn't just a, a causation of the time and that and the capabilities of what we have for tech at the time. There's so many choices they make in this movie from the original. And by the way, I want to talk about that because you talked about the name and if it was called something different, it was just off of Philip K. Dick's short story. But this is something I had. I, you don't see this a lot with remakes. How hard did they lean on Shusset and O'Bannon's script? Like I saw the credit like five times in the movie, you know, as far as like it, it being based on their script, because I mean, there's a lot of things there that are based on their script because we can remember it for you wholesale. It's not very long. It's a very short, short story. <laughs> so most of what they were calling from were from the original uh, film adaptation. Right. Uh, you asked me a question. You know, or you asked a question or you made a statement more of, you like this better than the original. And I might be inclined to agree with you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to say it. I don't care who gets mad. Uh, this is a better movie than the original. Yeah. And in, in Almost every way, because I feel like Colin Farrell is more, I mean, reads more as an everyman. I yep. mean, the thing about you watch the original, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger is like a bodybuilder running through fucking a bunch of bad Muppets. I mean, I, I, right. <laughs> look, I love Verhoeven, you know this, um, and I love the original Total Recall, but if I, going forward, if, if I were to watch one, I would probably watch this one yep. uh, because I feel like it's not, there's no camp. There's no, there's no camp factor, right. but that doesn't mean it's boring or takes itself too serious no. or, I mean, Brian, Brian Cranston brings the camp a bit and you know, you know how I am with Brian Cranston. Most of the time I'm like, Oh, Brian Cranston outside of Hal from uh, Malcolm in the middle. I'm usually like, Oh man, I'd rather just watch Malcolm in the middle if I have to watch Brian Cranston, but Cranston's good in this, you know, he's kind of channeling a little bit of uh, Ronnie Cox, Cole Hagen vibe going on. Um, there's some other fun people pop up in this, you know, John Cho, like we were talking before to me, possibly my favorite thing I've ever seen John Cho do was in this and he's not in it long, but he's great. And yeah. you know, it's fun and it's brief. And you know, when you're going to throw someone in as a cameo, that's the kind of cameo you give them, right? right. You, you go big. Um, he's almost unrecognizable. I mean, at first I was like, yeah, John Cho, yeah. you know, I had to look again because he doesn't look like John, the John Cho from, you know, Star Trek or um, Harold and Kumar. He's And he's great. He's got that one sequence and it's so fun. Yep. Bokeem Woodbine, who we love from yep. Dead Presidents and other stuff, shows up. Jennifer Beale. Jessica. It's funny because I almost called her Jessica Alba when I was watching it. I was like, I forgot Jessica Alba was in this movie. And I'm like, oh, it's because it's not Jenica, Jessica Alba. Yeah, Jessica Beale, not Jessica Alba and not Jennifer Beale. No. Not Jennifer Beals um, from Flashdance, although yeah. that would have been kind of an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, this movie, <laughs> this movie, and this movie looks so fucking good. Uh, I want to say that the, and here's the thing, unlike RoboCop, the sloppy, boring coverage of these action sequences, the action sequences in this are great. So like, good. Every set, every action set piece rocks in this movie. The one right after he calls out, uh, Beckinsale in the apartment, you know, and she's like, you know, yep. I'm not your wife, you know, yep. that whole thing, yep. you know, from that moment where they both go from the gun, everything up until the sequence is over is fucking great. Them running through the world that they've created. Yeah. It's all practical, man. Yeah. They're not running through, they're not running at green screens or running through green screens. Right. It has as much atmosphere as I'm going to say this. Here's another thing as the original Blade Runner. I was 100% about the Blade Runner thing. Right. I, there was moments in there where I just said, there's no wonder. I mean, obviously it was intentional by the production designer because of yes, the relationship. 100%. To, because of Dick's writing of both, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. And I and I think one of the, this was one of those movies where, like you pointed out, I think it, it's that rarity in a studio movie where every piston is firing exactly as it should in unison it's just you just don't ever it's rare that you get that and i you know i i did this literally was the first time i'd seen the movie i didn't see it in the theater i didn't see it on anywhere because i just i was never i was so disinterested in it because it, i mean the the previews and the trailers yeah. just didn't look appealing to me like you noted the production design is fucking gold in this everything across the board when he gets the recall, I just the whole the whole Chinatown atmosphere is so well done. Yeah, man, so good. There's by the way, there's one moment when and I, I was gonna I, I don't want to forget this because I will if I don't say it now. When he gets to that subway at one point where he's in the abandoned subway, I swear to you, I thought that was the big spot where Neo and Smith fight in the, the original Matrix. 
that's what made me look up the location where it was shot. Cause I thought, was this done in Australia? Cause that would make sense. No, 100% Toronto. And that was like, wow. Because it had to have been a clear homage to that movie. Cause not a lot of, there's not a lot of things in that movie in, in, in the matrix that transfer over to this. There's no sensibilities there that they're similar. I think it was just somebody said, Hey, this will be cool if we did this. And that's what, that's what they did. Yeah. Kate Beckinsale, dude. Fuck. Hey, dude, Beckinsale, look, here's the thing. I was, I was saying again, when I was going on about how I'm not a big fan of the underworld movies, uh, just because I find them to be kind of boring and, you know, whatever. You've seen one, you've seen them all. Right. <laughs> Beckinsale's great in this, dude. Like, yeah. you know, she, you know, I, at first I was like, oh, you know, you know, she got to stack up to Sharon. So, but her part is so much larger than Stone's oh, part yeah. in the original. And for the better, for the better. Right. I agree. And because what, what they did with this, and I, again, these kinds of changes usually bug the shit out of me. And with us talking before about with, with RoboCop, I'm like, all right, who is this person in this version of it? What they were really smart about was they did that thing. We, we talked about another remakes, uh, conversation about remakes where they took something away like they did with Fright Night. And then they put some of their own back in. What they did in this was really cool was they took Lori and Richter from the original, Sharon Stone and Michael Ironside's parts, yep. and they made them one. And that makes it so much more fun, so much more fun yeah. to watch. It. Look, we have massive love for Michael Ironside. Yeah. But he didn't work with the, with the tone of this movie. Not missed. Here's the whole thing. Until you just said it, I didn't even think about it that way. And I never missed Richter. See, it's party, Richter. Yeah. I never missed, never missed him. Yeah, Beckinsale's great, dude. Yeah, she's he, like a, she's, she's so fucking, and you believe her. You yeah. believe all the shit, right? You right. believe that she's kind of a hardcore fucking stone cold killer. Right. And also, like I, like I, like I said, maybe I, do I say this while we recorded? Maybe I said it before, but I feel like Farrell is way more believable as right. the everyman who could be like Hauser, right? Right. Like, Schwarzenegger just looks like, you know, like Schwarzenegger. And it's, it's funny trying to watch it like in hindsight, like I almost put it on last night and I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't need to do that. I don't need to compare them because I just, I've seen the original enough to know that I actually like this better. Right. To your point, when you see Schwarzenegger in the original and he and he and Bob Costanzo are out like breaking rocks down, right? It, it's absurd, right? Yes. Because Harry in this and then in the original was Robert Costanzo who plays um, who plays Harry in this one it was Boking and what the thing I had a problem with is in the original was like how absurd it was because Bob is kind of an everyday looking man he's somebody you would see on a construction site breaking down rocks but Schwarzenegger no no it is right. it's so weird so to see Colin in his role makes so much more sense. One of the things I poo-pooed about the movie when I heard early on was that they don't go to Mars. I'm like going, well, what's the point? I never realized what little going to Mars had anything to do with the <laughs> with the original uh, short story. Right. What else is great is, you know, what I, what I do love about this is that uh, here, here's my problem. Well, not my problem. But when I think back about the original Total Recall now, like when he does get to Mars, everybody looks like, I feel like I'm watching Nightbreed. Like the movie is like suddenly right. changed into Nightbreed and like... There's all these, you know, there's the the guy that looks like a split axed face and there's, you know, Quado and, I, you know, I don't need all that goofy shit. I mean, look, it was perfect for the time. 1990, it was great. 
But like I said, if I'm going to watch one from here going out, I'll watch this one for sure. But dude, how great was it when fucking Bill Nye shows up? I mean, again, yeah. you know, I, I kept wondering who was going to be the guy. Who, right. who, who is it going to be? Right. And I forget, why did I forget his name? Jesus Christ. It's because it's not Quato. <laughs> it's um, Matthias. Matthias. Yeah. Matthias. 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 Yeah. Which every time they said Matthias, it did make me think of the Omega Man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, Jesus, Matthias. Come, come Neville. But yeah, man. Uh, and for Nye to show up again and great night. Look, here's the thing. They don't overstay the welcome of Nye. No. He shows up. No. He, he gives you a little, not even, it's not even exposition. I wouldn't say, you know, he's sort of, he does, he did, does deliver some profound information to uh, Quaid or Hauser, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it gives you that moment to make you think. And then, you know, and then it all goes to shit. Yeah. This movie, I, I can't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, man. Cause I wasn't expecting to fucking be this excited about it when I, you know, <laughs> right. I, I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to be like, I knew it wasn't going to be like torture. I knew it wasn't going to be like, you know, last house on the left. <laughs> Right. Oh, fuck. Because I remember liking it. I just didn't remember how good it was. And it's one of those movies that definitely watching this for the second time, it was a thousand times better. It was better than I even remembered it being right. in the, uh, you know, so if we want to go back to our basic premise, which we never t talk about anymore. Right. It's better <laughs> than, than I remember it. <laughs> There's very little to not like about this movie. Right. There's, you know, it's funny. Here's the other thing I was going to say, and I, you probably caught on to this. There's a lot of homages to other science fiction movies. Big in time. This movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, Dude, did you catch the matrix one with the fucking, with Morpheus's chair, that beat up leather chair. Yeah. They have uh, I, I was like, you know, look, here's the thing. It's fucking super subtle and nobody fucking points it out. No. He's just sitting in it. Right. And then he gets up and you're like, and I was like, Oh, that's clever. You know, there's some moments in this that are so, Star Wars Empire fucking Death Star fucking Stormtrooper that they're they're better than anything that's been in any of the Star Wars sequels. Right. And you know it's super weird to think about this. The robotics soldiers that are, you know, the army that's following Beck and Sale around the whole time. I, I was like going, wait, this came out a year before Robocop. Those are all 408s. <laughs> following around. Right. They're all Dude, they are. They're fucking they're right out of Robocop. Ed, Ed exactly. Yeah. They're, they're the exact, it was my exact thought. And I had to look it up to see which one came out first. And I was like, Ooh, I think Total Recall came out before. Yeah, it came out, it came out a year before. Yeah. 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 And that, and then what's crazy about that is like when you watch and in, in the Robocop remake, sorry, two years before, uh, when you see the Robocop remake, you can tell it's CG and this, yep. there were dudes in suits and they were just greens. Yep. They had green screen on their abdomen and they were just you know, removing the, the animatronic acts. I mean, the, the, the person in there and making it look more, well, more robotic. <laughs> so, yeah, but this is what I was saying. Instead of just being armies of green screen dopes or, you know, dudes in green suits who they painted over, they are literally dudes in costumes. They're in armor and right. you can tell. Right. There's so much in this that's practical and CG. Like we always talked about the best CG is the stuff that, marries well with the practical where those two, where the two departments spend time together, making sure they're all on the same page. And you can't say that is always the case with studio movies because Robocop, right? Right. But this, you can just tell everybody was on the same page across the board. It works. It, the, the, you mentioned the action set pieces are so good. And I like the fact that, and, and we're talking about the, the amalgam between Richter and Laurie, you know, Richter was completely left out of the dark. Cohagen never told him shit in the original. Right. You get to the, almost the very end, 
we never hear the reveal because it's so, I love when they, when they do that, when they did that one moment where she's got him on speakerphone and she, and when she's like, uh, I'm sorry, uh, they had him on the projector in her hand. She goes, you know, take me off of, take me off of, uh, what the fuck did he call? But, and then he, she started talking to him into her phone directly. You never hear what he says and you just hear her side of it. Like, what the fuck you, you know, that you obviously we find out he's a double agent. We know that <laughs> because that's, that's something else they nicked from the original feature. But this, it was just, I like how the characters just didn't know everything. And at least she didn't. Right. And you mentioned Cranston. Obviously, he's you see him once or twice, just like with Bill Nye. You see the, both of them once or twice to a news broadcast. And when you finally see them flesh and blood and not on a screen, they're not in it very long. They don't overstay their welcome, like you no. noted. But, but I I wanted to talk about the mutants for a second from the original with them on Mars, you're talking about the, you know, the split face guy. That is actually Dean Norris. He plays Tony in that. He was on the entire run with Cranston on Breaking Bad. And of course, Dean is in a whole bunch of stuff. He's in the second. Yeah. He's in, he's in the, the second lethal weapon for a short amount. <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? It's just like you watch that and it's like the make, it's not good, man. It's it's the reason I can't watch Nightbreed. Everything just looks so fucking right. And I appreciate practical effects, but I mean, God damn it, dude. (laughs) It's all so goofy looking. Right. Rob Bottin, right. Completely void. And he, his, his effects and his team, the work they did in Total Recall are still just jaw dropping when they're pulling, when they're pulling the probe out of his nose. Still so amazing. Still so good. Yeah. But I mean, those, those are moments. Sure. And yeah. I mean, like, I'm not shitting on it again. Oh, no, I love no. the original. I do. But I got to say, I just love this one more. No, I know. <laughs> but that's what I'm seeing. But the, what I'm, what I'm kind of leaning on is the things that make the, the original so charming, at least to me anyway, aren't in this movie, but it's still, I feel like we just talked about, it. I still feel it's a better movie. I asked you if you'd watch the the extended cut or the regular one. And the reason why I asked that, because there's a lot of extra stuff in there. Like a lot of extra stuff. I don't know that I had the option on that fucking DVD. Well, I'll, it would have asked, look you, at it, it would have asked you in the beginning. Cause like when I did it with it the- It didn't. It just, it just literally started it up. It was okay. one of those, like, you know, I got the Columbia, whatever. I think it was Columbia, right? Like I got the logo and then it went right into the movie. Interesting. Yeah. There, okay. Well, there was- Former rental- <laughs> the the um Molina and Matthias I I didn't know this but they were father and daughter oh right right Beal you're talking about Beal yeah, yeah. and uh yes yeah well in the theatrical apparently that wasn't the case I'm like well, that makes it a different movie and also this one I thought was so cool and I'm like wait I had to rewind it like four times but when Hauser is at the bank right and he's going through the 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 safety deposit box right and he's looking at all of his IDs and stuff. When he sees his one ID, it's fucking Ethan Hawke. Is it? It's Ethan Hawke. So because the, the the idea here is that before Hauser went in to infiltrate the colony, that's what he looked like. So he had facial reconstruction. So he wasn't just like Arnold looking like Arnold going in. He Colin Farrell looking like right. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, how he looks is is just different. He, he was just a different right. person. He looked like Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Which I thought was really fucking cool. I had to, to, rewind, a, I had to rewind a couple of times because you see his ID. I'm like, wait, was that Ethan Hawke? Yeah. 
I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and look and see if maybe 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 I did just maybe that maybe I do have the option to look at the the unrated version because I would totally watch that movie again. Twelve minutes longer? Is that much? I, I just know it's because it's it's an it's a, it's one hour and fifty eight minutes. Oh, so twelve like twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at IMDb, there's a laundry list of additions and subtractions from the theatrical to the unrated. Well, they call it just. I mean, they they actually call it. They call it unrated. They know they just call it extended. They just call it extended. I, when I was doing some research on the movie, finding <laughs> finding some of the stuff that people were complaining about were just like they were like, okay, well, duh. But I mean, if you're suspend if you're if you're suspending your disbelief that this whole world exists, then don't complain about the fall and that people would probably fall off. Yeah, of it. come on, <laughs> dude. I hear, dude. I love you. Are they, are they mad? Are they talking about when he falls through the fucking, when he jumps off the, over the ledge? No, I think they're just talking falls, about oh. uh, you, if they were on top of the platform as the fall was engaged, oh, oh, oh. that they would go flying right. off. Yeah. Even if you had weighted magnetic boots, well, then your limbs would probably let's, get pulled out. But, but, but let's I, talk about that kick-ass fucking, dude, how about the whole sequence on the train? <laughs> yeah. That thing is where yeah. the gravity flips off. Yeah. Yeah, talk about set pieces. I mean, that's the kind of imaginative shit that Robocop sorely lacked. Right. right? Oh, like yeah. Robocop was just like, okay, yes, have a, it, you know, the more I think about it, Robocop is so far is by far the worst movie we've watched. I thought maybe the last week, I think I said, I mean, I think the fog will probably be the best. Well, no, it wasn't. Cause at this moment, Knowing what the other two movies are, I'm going to say this is the best one we're going to talk yeah, about. And I know the last two well enough. I mean, I hadn't seen this one and I'm going to, I'm not going to be surprised when I get done watching either one of them. I like one of them a lot. One of them is kind of like uh, a conversation. <laughs> the last one is a conversation. Well, look, I like them. I, I like them both. I like the last one because I, I saw it when I was on location in Kentucky doing strangers at a dollar theater, you know? So, and I got to say, it, it's so bad that it's fucking great. Yeah. Like as far as like entertaining, I mean, you're not always laughing with it. You're laughing at it, but that's okay. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah we'll get there. When we get there. We'll get we'll, there. We'll get there. Cause I know I'm going to, yeah. when I watch it again, I'm just going to be laughing my ass off. But this, yeah, there's no reason not to. Out of the six movies that we, We'll eventually have watched this month. Of course, one of them we chose not to cover. Right. We've, if you guys haven't figured out what that movie is by now, then I'm sorry. I think I said it earlier in this episode. You did, but you didn't really <laughs> so, say, you didn't say that was the one we didn't watch. <laughs> correct. Anyway. But I did mention it. You did say it. Yeah. We've said it more than once. Yes. We said, we've said it during Kickstart and we've said it. Yeah. It didn't matter. This one is the one where I, I thought of the five because I hadn't seen it. I thought, you know what? This is going to be a rough one. This is going to be a conversation because I, I'm not going to like it. I'm anticipating not liking it. I'm still holding on to that thing from 10 years ago. By the way, yeah, 10 years ago, this fucking movie. Yep. Why do we keep picking movies that have anniversaries? It's weird. It's in it. It's unintentional, I have to say. It just ends up being that way. It is. And you know, it's funny is I was, what we didn't talk about is how much, if you want to pair this movie with something, rather than watch it with the original, you should watch it with Minority Report. 100%. Two Colin, Colin Farrells in both of them. Um, here, here's the weird thing about it's the 20th anniversary of Minority Report. Right. 2002. When he's on the run, right, and he, and he jumps down. It was like, it's the whole alleyway scene yeah. for Minority Report. 
And Dude, it, I was waiting for him to go get his eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to go get his eyes made. And it didn't bother me. Usually that kind of shit bugs me. And I'm like going, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I get. I think because subconsciously my mind goes, hey, this is based on Philip K. Dick. Well, and Colin Farrell was already in that movie. I was already kind of, uh, and then when I read about that, I'm like, man, you, about the remind, I got the reminder anyway, that one minority report was, a, was in development for a long time to be a sequel to uh, Verhoeven's Total Recall. Man, they should have just, this would have been, this actually feels perfect together. Those two, like you mentioned, I, I immediately, as soon as you got to that point during that part of the chase, I'm like, Oh yeah, I think that's right. Where I texted you, yes, yeah. When you made a comment yeah. to me about about wanting to watch Minor Report afterwards, I'm like going, yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't so late, I would have done the same thing. We've talked before about when we're excited about a movie episode or a movie to talk about. It takes us. We're at the 28 minute mark right now, and after talking about it for 10 minutes before we hit record. It, this movie is one of those movies, man, where I'm just like going, fuck, that was so fun, man. I want to watch this again in the theater. Why is it? Hey, it's the 10th anniversary. Somebody plays in the theater. I want to go see it. Yeah, man. Come on, Tarantino. Play this in Minority Report. Double feature. Double Come feature. Come on, QT. You know, and, and by the way, if he ends up showing a double feature of War of the Worlds and, and Minority Report, then I'll go see them, which is more than, it's usually the kind of program you get there these days. I would rather get Total Recall than... Uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with you. I wish I could choose, but no choice. I was trying to think what uh, you know. It's funny because there are a few other Philip K. Dick adaptations that were made into movies. One that comes to mind, which is terrible, but I've seen it more than once. More than once is uh, Screamers with Peter Weller. What else is there? There's there's Screamers. There was RoboCop. There's right. Total Recall 2084. Right. Well, that was a Showtime series. Right. Is there another Philip K. Dick? adaptation movie that we're missing. Here's the other thing too. I told you that I thought that this movie was better looking than Blade Runner 2049 because it's not, it's not overly saturated. It's not overly orange. Right. Which, you know, it's funny because there's a, again, there's a lot of the same vibe, you know, it's that street vibe and running through it. To me, it, it leaned closer to the original Blade Runner than the Blade Runner sequel did just R aesthetically. Right. Uh, so, to, to to go down the, the in chronological order after Screamers, uh, sorry, after Minority Report is Imposter in 2002 also. Right. With, uh, Sinise with, uh, and Vinny D'Onofrio and a Madeline yeah, that's a Stowe. Gary, that's Gary Fleeter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Madeline Stowe, please, can people start putting her back in shit, please? Yeah, man. Where's, where is Madeline these days? If she's not working anymore because that's by choice, okay. But if she's not working because you people are being ageist, then fuck off. Put her in there. She's rocks. Everything. You know, one of my favorite Madeline Stowe moments is in Shortcuts. I love Shortcuts. Where she's trying to sniff uh, Tim Robbins' fingers he's, when he's trying to get ready to go to work. She <laughs> knows he's having an affair. It's so funny. It's so weird. It's like, what is she? Is she, she is. Holy shit. Yeah. No, dude, I love Madeline Stowe. What's the... So wait, so, so wait, but, but here we go. Watch, watch this. One, two, three, four, five. Paycheck. Right. John Woo, Ben Affleck, Scanner Darkly. Right. Richard Linklater. And speaking of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yep. And there you R go. And RDJ. Yep. Next, Nick Cage. You know, with Lee Tamahori's next. Right. Because that was based on The Golden Man. Radio Free Albemuth. I, I, it's, and it's, it's a full novel and I've never, it's loosely based on it, but I've never read it. The Adjustment Bureau. Yep. Okay. With Matt Damon. 
That was actually pretty decent. That that turned 10 last year. That wasn't bad. Total recall in 2012. And then, of course, you've already mentioned 2049, Blade Runner 2049, which was 2017. So, right. yeah. Wow. That's already five years ago. Crazy. Yeah. Five, right? Jeez, yeah, man. Dude. Yeah. Huh? I mean, it's like, it seems like, you know, it goes in cycles, right? Like, you know, it, there's a lot of other stories that they could crank out instead of, you know, I don't, I don't need another, I don't need another Blade Runner sequel. I don't need another Total Recall. I don't. I got the, the two I got are great, but you know, I feel like there's a, there, there's definitely, I mean, it's, it is one of my favorite genres. It's weird because it's sci-fi, but it's also, it's not like, you know, it's, it's more future sci-fi as opposed to like, right. Hey, we're on another planet with spaceships and aliens and you know. Right. Uh, and by the way, I want to point out to you, all the guns in the movie, those are legit guns. Yeah. Every single one of those is a functioning weapon, nothing. And those are all production models. They were made up a little bit, but they were all real, just like they were in, in the original. It's like they were all made in, in just like in Starship Troopers. They're all real weapons. It shows. And, too, that's, and I think that's interesting, by the way, that they were all guns that are present day guns. Shit, even in 2012, they were present day guns. Right. Again, they're all production models. And it, it, it speaks to where we're at right now, society speaking, uh, that uh, about where we are with guns and in close we are to, not close we are to banning them, but the, the, the demand for banning them and that kind of stuff. That if they all went and got banned and got collected, that would make sense that the people that have them are people like Cohagen and his army. Right. I just had another thought. This movie also, I mean, again, there's a, there's homages to a bunch of sci-fi, but you know, this movie also has a little bit of, and this is probably, is this going to be the second time we've talked about this in the last uh, three, three weeks, but there's a little district nine. Yeah. I'm sorry. District eight. I was thinking, what, oh, I was thinking of the the Wachowski thing. Um, Sense eight. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Just sense eight, but uh, yeah, district nine. Uh, it's got, there's some, there's some, you know, again, another sort of really underrated sci-fi movie that I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I, I'm kind of into this movie does everything well, man. The score is great, you know, and I don't think they nicked too much from the original score. No, no. And the score is fantastic. One of the things I that I really like about the score a lot uh, is that Harry Gregson Williams did the, the main score, but there's a synth pop band called hybrid that did a lot of the additional music. So when you're hearing a lot of the dubstep in there, that's them. But but the, all the synth-supported and drum programming stuff, that that's all of them. Dude, there's so much about this movie, too, because there's turntables in the, in the soundtrack. There's vocalists that that do things that just for sampling purposes. Mm-hmm. The drum stuff, the orchestrate. Dude, so much of it, it, it's one of those times where you have a great melding of traditional score with 50-piece orchestra in there melding really well with with what you would expect from that time synth you know some synth laden stuff it's most of the time when you get that you get that heavy score traditional score and then you'll get the stuff in between they don't usually meld together often Hans Zimmer is a big user of doing both at the same time but he really does scores that don't aren't just ominous you know drones these days and I mean I know that's what he's being asked to do but this has a great score Unfortunately, I, I not all the all the cues have um, hybrids input on them. Some of them are just William Grayson Williams orchestra cues. They don't they don't have that extra layer on top of it, which is a drag. And I looked it up too because I'd never. I'm like, this soundtrack is fucking great. And then sure enough, I found that extra information. But I mean, we shouldn't be shocked about the you know the production design of this movie. I mean, it's Patrick Topolis, you know. 
yeah. seldom does anything that's not fucking awesome, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's another thing too. Why, why, why it doesn't feel because they're real builds, yeah, and they're just supporting stuff with blue screen and green screen. Can you imagine how amazing this show would look on how on top of like what if they had the capabilities of like how they're doing all the LED screens now, right? With a uh, Mandalorian, can you imagine how much more immersive this would be? This movie's ten years old. And it's still super effective. And you pointed out something, that little VFX, you know, hiccup at the beginning. You saw that in 10 years ago. So it wasn't like it showed, it's nothing that showed its age. It's just there. It's a fact. It, it was something, it was a comp that was overlooked. That's it. No, It's no big deal. Right. But the effects across the board work. I can't recall a studio movie that, like this where it didn't, where I just went, where I've told myself, this is green screen and just ignore it. No. I robot could have been this so good. much could have could have been. I almost said that during it's Robocop. Not. I, I almost said that during Robocop, and I'm like, I don't want to. Hey, you know what? I robot being what what it is. Okay, what, I'm not a big fan of it, but it's it, it, it's just it's okay. If if this is Godiva chocolate, yeah, I robot's baby Ruth, just plain old Hershey's. <laughs> it's there's nothing special about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we shouldn't go too far down the. I'm not a fan of iRobot, but there were moments I, I was like, it's when they're on in the train thing and they see all the, and all the uh, the droids or the troops they're in stasis. Right. It just made me think about. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, oh well, of course, you know. I want to go back to that real quick. This is why these kinds of episodes are harder for me to edit because I'll end up moving, cutting things, and moving around so the conversation stays a little more cohesive. Because we get so excited talking about it, we want to like <laughs> spit it all out when they're escaping and they're, and they're dealing with the anti-gravity during the fall, the, the, and I didn't get to add on to this, the complications of the wire work and the stuff that is wired and it isn't and things that are just reorienting the camera. And it, it, there's so much going on there. Usually when you're having that kind of five, six different ways of implementing that, the, what you're going for again, wire work or just reorienting the sets or the cameras or whatever, that you know when the transition happens between the two of them, but they were super smart that the, you just use straight cuts to cut between the different ways that they were pulling off their their sequence. Again, that's just the kind of filmmaking I expect from studios, and we don't get it, like RoboCop. Out of the five movies we've covered, isn't this one the only one with a named studio director as far as like action movies? Everybody else is kind of like, who the hell is that guy? Yeah, totally. No, hundred percent. I want to say that I want to say with the exception of what we're going to watch next week, I feel like, well, I guess RoboCop, I can't really say that about RoboCop either. RoboCop, I don't understand at all. I don't understand how that gent directed that movie. Well, I, I'm with, you know, and you know what I was talking about before is, and and during the RoboCop episode, when you have something in, in development for so long and you get a bunch of people excited by it, and they get to a point where everybody that got you excited about it drops off, then you're like, well, fuck, if we don't make this, people are amped for us to make this movie. And then you get there, well, it's not what everybody was amped up about. And it took you eight years to get there and nobody cares anymore. Right. This was just from pre-production all the way to delivery. Everything, everybody was on the same page and that's why it works so well. And there's no performance in there that, that makes you go, eh. I love, again, I can't overstate this. I loved the fact that also Lori had no 
romantic relationship with anybody else in the movie. Right. And and they don't even really lean on the fact that her and Howes are even having a relationship at all. Because even when she comes home, she's like, I'm going to bed early. So you never even see them having those moments like Sharon and, and Arnold had in the first movie, the original movie. So I, I do like the fact that by combining her and Richter together, you don't have to have that thing. And at one point I might go, man, if they're going to make her and Hauser, right. I mean, uh, her and her and Cohagen a thing, I'm like, I'm going to be annoyed. But no, I never, I never got annoyed in the movie. I loved every moment of the movie all the way through. I got nothing bad to say about the movie at all. <laughs> nothing. No, bad to I say. don't either, man. Like, like I have nothing. There's nothing, nothing about this movie that I, you know, usually I'm nitpicky. I don't have any moments to be nitpicky about. <laughs> I mean, I, no. I was entertained the entire way through. Never once did I look to see like, oh God, how long is this movie? You know, oh, or there were, there were, there were not any cringeworthy moments. You know, there were the, I mean, like, again, all those set pieces are so much fun. Like the, the car chase. Right. You know, from the hover cars to the moment where it crashes down onto, you know, what we know as the earth, you know, I mean, all of it's great. I love that shit. When they, when he pulls out the resistor. Yes. Right. And it's just so that the gravity resistor, just so they can drop out of the site. Cause and when you see the movie, all these flying vehicles have this resistor in there. It's a anti-gravity thing where it doesn't, it won't allow you to crash. Right. So Farrell yanks it out and just so they can escape the, you know, the pursuance. <laughs> When he turns that shit on just before it hits the ground and that mag and and that pulse just crushes the car below it before it ever gets to it, dude, that was just it's it's little things like that that add realism to the whole thing. You're you've already again your suspension of disbelief is already firmly in place that that just helps continue to sell the the rest of the way. Right. There's all the little things, the production design through and through, like we talked about. It's as atmospheric as Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. It, it may not be down and out all the time, but by the way, by the way, did you notice that uh, about the 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 the, temp, the color temperature of the movie changes drastically when they're down below? And sometimes that usually does. It's too heavy handed, but it really works where you're letting you because there's there were moments in there. Where it took me a moment to figure it out that I'm like, wait, are we up top or are we down below? I don't know what the fuck's going on because there was some moments where I felt like I couldn't tell where we were. I couldn't tell if we were up top or, or down below. It's not a big deal, but once you kind of, when you start asking those kind of, when I was asking those questions anyway, they got to answer really quick. It, a lot of times you get movies like that where you're asking those kinds of questions and, and they never get answered. They get ignored. Right. This movie, like you know, is an hour, an hour is an hour and 58 minutes, right? Yep. And the extended one is two hours and 12 minutes. Well, we talked about those extra things in RoboCop that if they put them back in, it would have made for a better story. But the movie was already almost two hours. I'm like, who the fuck cares? And I never checked out of this movie. I never checked out of the movie from the moment I hit play and the score cue started. I'm like going, oh, okay. All right, then. <laughs> I had it cranked the whole time and Joey came downstairs like, what are you watching? I said, Total Recall. I was like, can I watch it? I go, you don't want to watch it right now. I'm like, I was halfway through the movie. He's like, but can I watch it? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, why? I mean, he's like, is it good? I'm like, it's really good so far. Is it better than our Schwarzenegger one? I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so far it is. Speaking of Arnold Schwarzenegger and his version of it, the three boob girl. Yeah. Why did that not bother me? I thought for sure because it, 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 it was going to bother me, but it really is the only quote unquote mutant tied to the original when they had that, when they tell you in the beginning that they already have interstellar travel, they're already doing that. 
right? But the only inhabitable portion, portions of Earth are New Asia, what they, which they call the colony. Right. <laughs> New Asia and the UK. So it made sense that somebody from another planet would be here. And so I thought it, was, it wasn't about being a mutant. It was just she was an alien. And I thought that was clever. They didn't, they didn't like beat you over the head with it. And it's those little homages to it. Like, oh, probably my favorite little nod from the original in this was when he's going through the x-ray machine. Oh, yeah, dude. It's right? so good. I was so fooled, dude. I was so fooled because I thought for sure that what they were going for was, all right, there's two things here. There's a distraction and he has a disguise. I thought it was both. But no, it turns out the red hair woman that's supposed to represent the, the homage from the 1990s. The one who looks like Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, <laughs> that one. Your eyes are fixated on her because they're supposed to be, because it's playing. It's the one time that they play on the original where you just, if you haven't seen the original, you it's not an, it's just not, not a cute moment. It's one of those, it's, it's a story moment. If you're not familiar with it, you're going to, you're not, you're going to miss it. You're going to, because you're, you're, otherwise you're going to be fixated on the x-ray machine behind them. But you, when you, but you know the original, you see the red haired woman in the yellow jacket and, and then she says her line, she says two weeks and you're like going, oh, it's him. That's him. No, and they did a great job. It was a nice little... Yeah, there's a nice bit of misdirection there. Yeah, big time. Works so well. Yeah. And I love how they make it his disguise uh, malfunctions inside the machine. Yes. And then you see the three you see the three or four faces that you saw of his identity. You see Ethan Hawk. Right. <laughs> you see that. You see those identities in when he's in, in, in the safety deposit box. I thought that was really clever. Because they don't lead into it. You just think that, oh, he's got passports for somebody else. You don't know his passports for his his uh, his disguises and stuff. But I don't know. Do you get the same ending with Beckinsale at the end where she uses that machine? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. then, then you watch the long yep. version because it's not like that. Okay. Yeah. That was so good. That was so good. And it was one of those few, you, you don't have that moment where, you know, that where they used Harry in this one, in this movie, to be the guy trying to talk him out of his his psychotic break when it's that, uh, what's his face, right? The guy from Recall, which always made sense to me that it was the Recall guy that they would put in there. Yes. But the beat of sweat, that you don't have one of those moments in it that makes it reveal anything about, let him know that, that you know, he's, this is real. You get that moment though with, at the very end when she does when he doesn't see her scar. I thought that was clever. That was like, there was that reveal, that one thing. Cause I, that, you know, you, when you see it in the original with the beat of sweat, it's a good tension buildup. And what happens, it makes sense. Just, but what, let me ask you, why does Hauser shoot his friend in the head? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't um, think he, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was that he, that clues him in that he's not who he says he is. What they do really well is you're never sure that he doesn't know who he is and that he's not under, you know what I mean? Right. There, there's enough doubt cast there. Um, and it's also, it's Colin Farrell. So it's like, could, have we seen Colin Farrell play somebody disreputable? Yeah, absolutely. We have. Yep. So, you know, and again, Schwarzenegger never played a bad guy. No. I mean, so, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing too. That's another thing reason why Kate Beckinsale is so fucking great in this is because you never see her play a part like this. No, dude. And she's having a great time doing oh, it. Oh Yeah. But by the way, talk about Terminator, right? 
she is Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator. She just kind of goes, she's on a mission. She just does this. And she just, and then she goes, I, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to, I don't care what he says. I'm, I'm going to kill this dude. I'm going to, I don't care what, I don't care what Koei can, I'm going to murder him. I love the scene where she's on, she's got Cranston's on the mind. He's like, take me off the monitor. <laughs> and then she's just, and so you're, you're just seeing it all. And her reaction is so good. Right. When you had, that's what I was referring to earlier when she has that moment and we don't hear his side of the conversation, which is great. Yeah. We don't need to. Nope. Nope. And her immediate reaction is you get a little bit of exposition later on because she reveals it, but it's not right. She doesn't get off the phone and say it. She, it's a while before she says it. Everything about it works so well. And and I'm super bummed that they didn't do better business because it. when I got my Blu-ray yesterday, it was brand new, still original shrink wrap because it had an ultraviolet sticker on the outside. Oh, how funny, man. Yeah, ultraviolet doesn't even exist anymore. Guess guess what other sticker it had on the outside of it. Um, it, it was for a God of War PlayStation 3 game. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so you got a bunch of it. Was it $9.99? It was eight ninety nine. Yeah, I, I saw it on Amazon because I was like, "Oh, do I want to buy?" I'm like, "No, nah, I don't need to buy it." Yes, I everybody buy it, buy it. It's so worth it. It is worth it. It's totally worth having. Yeah, I haven't watched the extras yet, but I need to dive into that. Um, one thing about Lynn Wiseman's movies is that he's really big on putting extras on on his stuff. Oh yeah, there's the ex- there's extras on this DVD which I just haven't delved into yet. Yeah, I didn't. It's funny. I bought this and RoboCop at the same time from the same video store. It was called My Video Store, which is no longer. Uh, but you know, the people that owned it were great, and you know, they would they would buy enough copies, and then you know, four weeks later, they'd be selling off you know six of the eight copies that they bought for rentals, you know, and they would sell them for ten bucks. I picked those two up, and I don't think I I don't think I watched either one of them. Don't even think I found the RoboCop one until after I bought the goddamn thing. <laughs> I rented it from Amazon, even though it was on Prime. They shouldn't even let you do that. They shouldn't let you shouldn't be able to rent something if you have Prime and it's on Prime. There should be a safeguard. Yeah, there, I agree. I don't like like for instance when I got shit. What was it I just bought on Apple TV though? The good thing is is that well actually that's more than that. Uh, when I bought something and I used the digital through like movies anywhere, the digital still shows up on the the Prime app. It's, I still see it there. It's not going to make it, it will not necessarily charge me for anything, but it's it's cross app compatible. So if, even though it's movies at that's the whole point of movies anywhere, you put the digital on there and it's available in, in all those apps. It's on that app, it's on Apple TV, Sling, a whole bunch of shit. Okay, so bummer about this. I have to say. <laughs> The reason why I bought the Blu-ray, and again, I'm glad I did, and I would have eventually too. But what happened, <laughs> I'm watching the movie on August 31st. I started at 1140, 1150-ish, right? Right. I'm 10 minutes into the movie on Netflix, and on September 1st, <laughs> it left Netflix, and it just froze in the middle of me watching. I had no idea. I'm like, what the fuck? I thought Netflix was just acting up. I restart the box and it's not even there. And I'm like, well, bullshit. I was just watching it. And then it clicked. I'm like, fucking movie. Just, it's the first of September. Nine one. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. That that does suck. It's They should at least let you, if you're watching something, you should at least finish it. Yeah. That's just nonsense. I don't know what the hell happened there. Reason why I bring all that up is the Blu-ray is worth picking up for nine bucks on Amazon. Or if you can get it used, you can probably get it for five bucks. 
because unfortunately it comes, it still comes with a DVD. If you need a DVD, if you, you have no use for a DVD, but you're paying eight ninety nine for a DVD and the Blu-ray and the Blu-ray does have both versions of it. Right now you can only stream it on TNT and TBS. And I think true TV also, but it is rentable. It's a two ninety nine to three ninety nine rental, depending on where it's at. But it's you can pick up digitals for like four ninety nine, nine ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine. But why, why do that when you can get a physical copy for eight ninety nine? And if you, and everybody's got Prime, right? Everybody's got Prime. So. so yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody has Prime just for the free shipping alone. Yep, I want to throw this out there too. Since we talk about Minority Report so much and the great pairing these two movies that have together, you should also know. It's streaming right now. If you have Showtime, it's on Showtime and everything else is all rental style. You know, purchasing the physical copy. We're due, Paramount. We're due a 4K of this. They did a 4K of War of the Worlds, but we don't have a 4K Minority Report yet. And they should, and it would really lend itself to it. But saying that, for a Blu-ray, this movie, this copy of Total Recall, this, this version of Total Recall pushes the boundaries of the format. I Once the movie was over, I put it in my my PC because I wanted to see what the bit rate was on it and it's high. They really make use of it, the space on the disc. It's a 50, it's a, it's a dual layer 50 gig disc. So, and it's the, 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 the image quality is so fucking good and you will not be bummed on my TV. Just looks amazing. Even when you get that up convert from 1080 to 4k, it still looks fantastic. Yep. I would imagine. I mean, I want to say even this DVD didn't look terrible. I mean, it's funny because I don't, I seldom watch TV. I usually stream everything or I'm, or I'm watching some sort of boutique Blu-ray, right. but it didn't look bad, man. I mean, I was, you know, for watching a 10 year old DVD, <laughs> which right. probably was mass produced uh, right. in the lowest fucking common, uh, in the lowest way you could produce it. It looks, I mean, the movie looks great. Like I said, I, you know, everything looked, the picture was sharp the production design, the lighting, everything. I mean, everything, you could see everything. You're not where they, you, where you're seeing blacks, they're blacks. You know, it's not, it's not grainy. It wasn't grainy for sure. I'm sure, you know, the Blu-ray probably is definitely a step up and it looks a lot sharper, but even watching this uh, DVD, I was, you know, I was very impressed with how the movie looks. It was the, the blacks are black. You know, it really is a gorgeous, gorgeous transfer. Now, again, my, like you're noting, my concern was once I saw my disc, once, you know, with the wrapper and then it was all like, wait, this is, this is the, re this is an OG release from 10 years ago. Then I started worrying about like disc rot. Am I going to get one of those discs that, <laughs> that's right. just falling apart? You know, is a more recent version of this, you know, because sometimes you get that, right? Where, where when ultraviolet goes away and when actually DVDs went away, just for the sake of shipping costs and everything, that weight comes, well, weight will show itself when you keep throwing, shipping everything with an extra disc in it. So you get a reissue as a single disc Blu-ray. And I thought sometimes they'll do a new encode, but no, this was the original one and it's fucking fantastic image. And the sound design, again, sound design was, yeah, sounds familiar but also had a lot of uniqueness to it as well. I think that's why I keep leaning on the the Matrix in the same way that I, when I saw the original Matrix, where the sound design, the visuals, yes, there were some things we'd seen before, but they were so unique, but it did its own thing at the same time to where it kind of shaped itself. I know this might sound funny. The winks and the nods and all that stuff from other sci-fi movies felt like, a Tarantino way of handling it where you're not getting beat over the head with it. I mean, obviously it's not, it, it, it's not Quentin Tarantino dialogue, but it's not what I'm getting at. It just feels like the stuff that they, they're, they're the nods and the homages that are in there aren't heavy handed. They don't feel shoehorned. They, and it just 
everything flows. And I think this movie deserved a better fate than what it got, honestly. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and I feel like it was probably dumped too. Like, I, you know, I don't know if there was a, yeah, I don't know what the problem with it was. Like, it, I don't want to, I want to say it probably came out before, well, you could still release, you could still release an event movie that wasn't Marvel or Star Wars and not worried about being crushed by Marvel or Star Wars. So right. who knows? Right. But look, man, I'm just going to say, I enjoy the shit out of it. <laughs> and uh, if you want to watch Total Recall, Maybe you take a break from, you know, the Verhoeven version if you haven't seen this and sit down and watch it. You might find it's, if you're only going on the word of mouth that it's bad. Right. You know, my brother, I asked my brother and my brother, my brother's response was, Colin Farrell's dead to me after that shitty Fright Night remake. And I'm like, oh, first of all, it's not shitty. And second of all, Colin Farrell is in a lot of great shit. Yeah. My brother hates everything though. He was also (laughs) dealing, you know. Anyway, if you've never seen this, it's waiting for you. And I can't see you not enjoying it. Yeah. It's a good time all the way through. I don't know about the PG-13 version. By the way, that's something else I, I noticed the theme of this other than Last House on the Left. Right. These All, all of our movies are PG-13. And they were all R-rated. All, to, all R-rated the, the originals. originals. Yep. All R-rated. All yep. of them. Censored down. Censored down. box office dollar. Right. Now, you in this case, you get that whole, we can lean on that a little bit because this was a pg PG-13 theatrical and the un, and the extended is unrated. I don't know. Does the three boob chick show her? I have to I have to go back and look at the theatrical. I don't know. If, even though it's prosthetics, can you get away with that? Yeah. I mean, I think you could show it. Yeah. I'm I mean, not sure. You know, I mean, I think it's more about, it's funny. What'll get you an R is fucking the F word, you know, more than three fucks in a movie and you're getting an R rating. The, I gotta say, Whatever. man, the, the, the prudeness of, of our, of the rating system is just Fucking stupid. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's okay to murder people, <laughs> but God forbid you show someone's new naked body. Uh, yeah, God, God help us. <laughs> no, your basic anatomy class. So dumb. See more of that in the Victoria's Secret fucking catalog. <laughs> That's so true. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> if you want to follow the, the show on Twitter, it's at Karate Pod. The same with Letterboxd, and we'll have those up there. The reason why that's taking so long, by the way, I am going back and adding every movie we've ever covered and every movie. There's nothing in there except for the link to the episode. That's all I'm doing right now with in relationship to that. Once it goes live and then it'll be updated after episodes are released because we're not going to, we're not going to telegraph what's coming because <laughs> so, that would be silly. No. Or and if you want to follow Corey on letterboxes at Corey underscore Cope. If you want to follow me, you can follow me at rock and roll 33 on your Instagram, or you can follow me at, Tom Cody on Letterboxd. That's Tom Cody. 